Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. We are recording on May 25th, which honestly, I didn't even tell Rian I was going to mention this while we were talking beforehand. <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of it's kind of a weird day. Um, Rian, there's like, obviously, like a year ago today was the murder of George Floyd. Um, and I did something I have to think about a lot today. Um, but also, I'm thinking about a lot in the context of when we recorded, I think the day no, maybe the week after it happened, videos and stuff like that came out. Um, I don't know. It's it's moments like these, I guess, where I realized that I know I'm starting on a heavy note, but at the same time, like football kind of keeps it, it keeps a lot of people afloat in, in some ways. Like it keeps it keeps like just generally like the good vibes going. Like as as cliche as it sounds, like it's very much um very much an out for people um or a medium to to kind of rest and relax your mind, um, which is ultimately why we started the podcast in the first place. So yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird day for me, but I'm also at the same time really excited about what we've got coming up on the agenda. So yeah, that's just, Hey, podcasts are here to solely ease the soul. So here we are. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Like last year, it was also around the same time as, that the uh, Bundesliga came back and that's when yep. we first saw like how global the whole, the event, the, the murder was and how it touched not just problems that there already were in America, but obviously it really struck a chord with lots of other minorities in other, in other um, countries. And we saw Weston McKenney and I think it was Jaden Sancho who both had messages uh, in the first game right after George Floyd's death. So, or murder, I should say. Um, so yeah, there's, like you said, a medium, but it also kind of was really, really, uh, I think wholesome in the fact that it, the sport really showed that it does pull people, pull people together more, most of the time, more than it pulls them apart. And that usually is, when it's a financial, even <laughs> true, even with the true. Super League, we saw that it actually did pull a lot of people together too. So, all true for better yeah. or worse, for better or worse. <laughs> no, no, um, nothing, nothing false about that statement at all. Yeah, but it's always nice to have um people around you that you know continuously, uh, support the sport, support the common ground that we kind of fall under, which is basically football. So, anyway, enough of the the sappiness as a, as we'll say, Rian, I'm not New York. You are New York. I decided to leave Rian for like a week. I just, I got really sick of seeing him basically every weekend. Um, so yeah, I decided to fully just go to a different state in the U S <laughs> cause that's, that's where I'm at in life. Yeah. So sorry about that, by the way. No, no, that's fine. Um, he left me a note under my door. It was, actually really weird I didn't, I didn't understand it and just said goodbye and then um the next time i see him he's in the most pink hued room i've seen in a long while wow it's, and, it's so nice that no and, one that's listening to this will thankfully be able to see the background but yes i'm in a frozen themed room somewhere in the united states which could be one of tens of thousands of bedrooms honestly <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was it, Ellie? So it was your first flight 
in like at least a year dude first flight right yeah first flight in over a year and the flight attendant came over to me and she was like ellie's and i was like yeah and she's like welcome back so it's your first flight with us in over a year since you last traveled in february and i was like wow thank you i'm extremely concerned that you you don't knew that just so quickly but you know thank you (laughs) so it's it's good to be back nature is healing um i think covid restrictions are slowly but surely being lifted which is a positive sign i just hope everyone can still stay say stay safe and stay healthy obviously but i think we're we're in for that hot girl summer that we always wanted rian Oh, did we? <laughs> I say we. Yeah, you're not leaving yourself out of it. You're not, you're not getting out of this. No, it's funny that you bring up the restrictions. So my gym, like recently, has um, kind of done away with the mask mandate. So like, it's just you know, if you if you want to, whatever. But you're not required to wear a mask there anymore. And it's really interesting to be talking to my roommates and and also like having gone. The last couple of days and what i heard from my roommates that very beginning it was like maybe just a few people who had their, didn't have the mask on and it's like slowly progressing to uh to like now i think i was there today and and i was there probably like a week after the restrictions like were uh kind of relaxed and there was probably maybe 10 percent of the people in there that were actually still wearing masks <laughs> and it was like mostly older people and then a f- splattering of you know your our age to like 30s or something wearing a uh, mask but it's i'm sure that within a week and a half it's probably going to be like a handful of people at most so it's uh, yeah people are like psychologically coming together yeah with, that's um, that's the other part of this <laughs> Yeah, psychologically coming together and uh, all just kind of hive minding to (laughs) the point where, yes, okay, so it is okay to not wear it anymore, right? Because there are like 10 more people in here who don't. And so, well, we'll see what happens with the uh, restaurants and uh, not restaurants. I should say like even like the delis, like the bodegas and stuff too. Yeah, like a lot of indoor seating and stuff like that. There's going to be a day where we can go outside with no masks and come home and not having put a mask on. I will say the one thing that I would love if it continued is if you feel sick, like just as a social etiquette, just wear a mask, just like, even if you have like a cold, like I would love that because I don't want anybody coughing or sneezing on me, like COVID aside. (laughs) So just something to think about for anyone listening. Yeah. Who knows? I, I don't know. I'm, I probably won't do it, but I am thinking like in the winter, who knows, maybe I will throw the mask back on. If not for the uh, ability to stop yourself from catching the flu, then for when you're walking through almost any part of like lower Manhattan or in Midtown or any wind tunnel in which there are just so many of them, um, (laughs) your face does not freeze off. Um, so maybe, maybe I will, but I probably, probably won't, honestly. Nice, nice. Anyway, Rian, shall we get to the footballing festivities? The final yeah. four, we're going to start with at least this podcast will be dedicated largely to England. We will 
oh by god we will have another one dedicated to spain don't you worry um but we're gonna start in england talk about the final day and really what transpired in the top four uh, i watched i couldn't watch all three games at once i watched i guess in order of percentages 80 percent of the chelsea game and 20 percent of the Spurs Leicester game I did I just fully did not watch the Liverpool game because I kind of knew how that was going to go but the other two were more interesting to me Rian let's start with Liverpool because that's probably the team that having gone through their six games where in the, in the span of the beginning of the year where they just did not pick up points especially at home to go from that to now sitting in the champions league that has to be that has to be extremely impressive given their squad uh, lack of squad depth actually like that i'm just i'm i'm so overly impressed with the way they turned it around but it again i think it goes back to what i was saying last week about there being such a fine line for for margins like they were one possibly one draw or one drop points game away from just not being the Champions League next year. And we're saying, oh, well, that's probably to be expected given what happened at the beginning of, of 2021. But now, again, narratives, it's just completely different. <laughs> well, I mean, you know how we love to just judge things. By we, I mean the royal we, like on average as a whole, we love to just judge things off, purely off results. And yeah, I mean, they, they, they didn't just... They didn't just barely, they did barely make it. We should say they barely make it because, you know, they end up um, finishing two points above Leicester, right? But uh, they had the Allison goal kind of didn't matter because of Spurs and Leicester, the Spurs-Leicester result. But we're not going to remember that. We're not going to remember that they would have made it actually without that. That goal, that did change we're not changing everything. That was the moment of the season, honestly. It, not just for Liverpool. I think that might be like the moment of the COVID season. We're just gonna end up calling. Oh, this, the, probably. the just ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Like the margins, the margins were so small, and I think like the beginning of the year, the the first twelve games, twelve Premier League games, I should say, for uh, for Liverpool. The margins were so thin, they weren't converting chances nearly at the same rate as they did um, in the final 10 here. But on a different level, like, the quality of shots that they were giving up versus the shots that they were getting themselves, that disparity totally changed from pretty much, I guess, the first half of 2021 to the second half of 2021, which makes me think that if we're ever going to argue that the season was really like three, maybe four seasons in one, like we could just look at Liverpool's results and their numbers from this entire season, where they go from being top of the league in December to sitting in seventh in the middle of, in the middle of March and then ending in third this season. It's just <laughs> ridiculous, but Basically, like the the types of shots that they were giving up, or the quality of shots that they were giving up in those first twelve games of of this calendar year, it was 
something that would like lead over the entire season. Their non-penalty expected goals per shot would was the worst in the league. And if it's kept up like that, that would have been like a relegation form in terms of the uh, the quality of chances. And then the shots themselves that they were creating were pretty average, were middling, honestly, for the entire league. So a lot of that flipped in the, in the second half of this year. And that's where I think on an attacking sense, their numbers are much, much better. But their defending was still kind of the same, uh, honestly. And, and what flipped was the margins were kind of flipped more in their favor. So I, I think that they went from a team that defended fairly poorly because they had five center backs injured and, and also were not creating I think uh, high enough qual- high quality chances to a team that was creating high quality chances, still defending kind of poorly, but creating high quality chances and finishing them in the in the uh, last ten games of the season, where they end up only drawing two games and winning eight of them. So I know that the the kind of total psychological change in in terms of what they were able to uh, accomplish was just i think another good uh another good check mark in the box of Jurgen Klopp being an amazing man manager right you know what's interesting about this is i i was having i guess like this thought in my head mainly about spanish teams about what defines success and as much as we're giving all these accolades to liverpool for overcoming their their faults and and their injury woes over the course of the season I still feel like in the context of Liverpool FC, this can't be considered a successful season. You know what I mean? Like they, they shouldn't have ever been in a position like this in any case, but when you add context around it, right, which is what we just mentioned, it's a, it's a different tone, but they didn't win anything coming off the back of a really impressive league season. That's not, that's not necessarily success in what I think Liverpool would want, but I don't think that there's a Liverpool fan out there that's saying, Oh, I'm pissed off that we didn't win the league again, or I'm pissed off that, well, maybe in the champions league, they could have done a little bit better for sure. But in, in the context of their whole season, it's, I guess it's tough to say that it was successful, but more so I think they prevented disaster. I think that's how I would put it. Yeah. And I, and I think the context does matter a lot too. Yeah. It's like the, the, we didn't even mention the fact that Jurgen Klopp lost his mother over this season. Right. Same with Allison lost his father. The foreign players in on Liverpool, not just Liverpool, but all the foreign players in England, really, who weren't able to like, go home during the holiday season, during like religious holidays. So I, I think <laughs> to be in such a low position where Jurgen Klopp himself had kind of given up on top four and said it to the media um, to turn your season around and, and kind of fight and claw their way back into it. I, I think it's a, I think it's a big mental success for the team. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But I do think that there's another team that's um, where <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of this last game. Honestly, I think they have this team, of course, being Chelsea, the opposite 
not problem. I, I, here's how I would put it. Chelsea do have a problem psychologically it, as it relates to Liverpool, not a problem as a whole, like the, the squad is depleted, blah, 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 whatever. But it's not nearly as strong as the ability to overcome and be a dynamic team when you need it most. Chelsea barely got it done. I mean, you and I both kind of expected Leicester to win this game against Spurs. And I'm sure that there were several points during this game where you were just shitting bricks and you (laughs) were not at all pleased with what you were seeing, both from Chelsea or from, from Leicester slash Spurs. So walk me through, walk me through the first half of the Chelsea game because it wasn't, it wasn't exactly a stellar half for honestly, for both teams, Villa, I mean, great finish by Traore, but yeah. Yeah, I I think it, I think it was actually it was really good first half an hour at least from Chelsea because the amount of times that they got into Villa's box just to completely skewer the shot <laughs> or or the final pass was um was enough that they should have converted at least True. once I'll say that at least once it's I, I, there was a mount chance um that mount from, chance yeah 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 that. that you know, you expect him to put away and it wasn't necessarily an easy chance, but you, you'd expect him to at least put it on target and he, and he, and he hit it way over the bar. And, and then a, a great set piece, honestly, from a great set piece, actual play from, from Villa and kind of a weird scuffed shot that weirdly kind of loops just under the bar ends up hitting like the underside of the crossbar. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was like a lot of Chelsea games in terms of uh, the finishing and their decision-making in the final third, but they just got punished on, on a play that, you know, does not really happen normally for not just them, but in general, I get that's a great, that's a great set piece play. Um, and Chelsea's defenders would much rather deal with the ball in the air. So I, I think uh, the first half was just really like disappointing. And then to see, to see how the Tottenham, Leicester Tottenham game was going was, was not great either, because as I said, I didn't expect them, didn't expect uh, Tottenham to get anything from, or to get at least get three points from that game. And the second half got no, no better really from a Chelsea standpoint, honestly. And, until until something like until Casper Schmeichel basically hit the ball into his own net, and that's kind of when the game changed for that for uh, Leicester Tottenham. But I guess in the end, mission accomplished for uh, in terms of what Thomas Tuchel's objective, main objective was when he came in to the club. Yeah, I I will say, I don't think that this would have happened under Frank Lampard. I don't think that if you gave Lampard the rest of the season that you're even in a position to be talking about top four, quite honestly. And it was a gamble to bring in Tuchel in the middle of the season, but it's one that really, really worked out because I've always said this. I said this like at the beginning. No, I said this last summer, uh, probably right before the summer started, honestly, that Chelsea have and are putting together a really strong squad. 
like a squad that makes sense. Like they're planning properly. And it's just about, and I think you probably saw it towards the middle of this season. It's about having a top quality coach and a manager that can fit, find those pieces on the field for, for this team, because he didn't really need to tweak much. Like you clearly saw, he didn't bring in any sightings or anything like that. It's not oh, other than Mendy, but it like, it's not like other than that. Well, Mendy, well, Mendy came in before, before Tufel. Right. 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 But that would, I would say was one of the, most recent signings right outside of that it was i mean no one was new really so yeah yeah i i, I think that that was the biggest thing that helped chelsea along the season was bringing in a coach with serious managerial experience that can manage those personalities not that they're massive personalities or anything like that but you have a fine balance between players like aspilicueta and marcus alonso who are aging slash may not be in the, the best fit for the squad anymore. And then you have players like Mason Mount and Pulisic and Werner who need a lot of individual coaching, but have the raw talent. I think, I think Chelsea, I mean, I won't spoil the champions league final part of this, but I think Chelsea are in really, really good shape for the future. Um, and so I, I honestly, I'm really excited to watch them in the prem next season. Cause I have very high hopes for them to push for the, for the, the title. Um, so Rian. Okay. Let's but, let's oh oh no you want oh, sorry no oh, no, no, no please no, no. please it's your no, team no. I would never steal your your shine. oh no, no no I just just <laughs> just the only thing I would throw in for that obviously I agree with you as well Alice I think I think the only thing that you can say definitively that the team needs is is uh better finishers <laughs> or at least one better finisher uh but that's just so pointed it's not even funny that's just at least cruel. well at least one player <laughs> one not, yeah, not saying yeah, that the yeah. player needs to become a better finisher they i think they uh, no matter what they, i think they need a, a center True. forward uh, another center forward um but i think mostly the, the biggest difference in the team like you said at least that the the coaching has helped a lot and i think in general what's happened for chelsea is that that kind of margin for error that was pretty thin in a lot of games for um, under Frank, especially in the last two months uh, when the defending was getting worse and the attack was getting worse. Um, that kind of changed, I think, all in that in this second half of the season where, you know, it ends up being Tuchel having 19 games um, in the Premier League coaching. So it, it was like two completely different seasons uh, for, from a Chelsea standpoint. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Are you? Can can I move on to Lester now? Do I have your permission? Of course, then? of course. Okay, because I did want to just briefly mention it because it very much related to this game. Um, Lester should have won this game. I'm going to be honest. Lester should have won this game. Wow. I that that's my honest opinion. I, I think Lester let this game really get away from them in the sense that they, but not in the sense that they just fell back and defended and called it a day in the sense that they open themselves up too much to chances that should have never been there in the first place. Like, I'm not saying Harry Kane, like just had a worldly and I mean, chat all over them, which partially he kind of did. <laughs> but my point is that Lester let those spaces open up and behind them. And that can the way that they did that, I just could not forgive. And I was really disappointed to see that because outside of that, they had great Vardy goal, you know, go to one up. It's looking good, but to throw it away, in my opinion, the way that they did, it was just kind of a self 
combustion. Uh, I give very little credit to Spurs on this one, not because I, mm. I just enjoy taking the piss out of Spurs, but I actually <laughs> don't think that Spurs did anything overly redeeming that Lesser could not have prevented. Um, and to spend, I think, what is it, 242 days in the top four yeah. just to oh, just to get denied on the very last match day is is so cruel. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. It's disappointing. I think I think a couple things happen in this game. I think from from Leicester point of view, you look at I mean, their two goals were just two penalties, um, and it was just it was two <laughs> it was two penalties from you know the always always stellar, always solid center backs of Tottenham, <laughs> who got just the first one's a a pretty bad. A, Pretty bad one from Toby Alderweireld, who was just kind of it was just kind of a lazy challenge where he leaves his leg out and um and trips Vardy, and then the second one is kind of just a complete flop from from Jamie Vardy, where he kind of grabs onto Dobson Sanchez's arm and and as they're going to the box, like pretty much buys the foul, pulls it, Dra- drags himself and down, falls basically. Yeah. And, and outside of that, I mean, Lester didn't really create much. They, they had eight shots in the entire game. And I think about two of those came from penalties. Like, I, I think, um, I think what really killed them was the injury to Wesley Fafana early in the game. And yeah, think about he was out. He had to go out uh, early in this game. They were already without Johnny Evans, and that left Soyeon Chu, who is is not a poor center back, but he's their third best center back. And I think nothing kind of typified that. Um, I think just a, just kind of a collapse at the end there, especially especially after the Schmeich, after Schmeichel's own goal. I think I think it it, it did really hurt them psychologically, but. I think nothing uh, typified it more than the fourth goal where Gareth Bale picks it up off of, I think, just a little bit. That was, uh, oh, that was, it, it was so... so Yunchu tries to clear oh. it, um, and it, and it hits off of one of his own teammates, and it goes into the path of Bale, and so Yunchu's, like, tra- running back as Bale's running to him, and <laughs> Harry Kane's making a run on the right of Gareth Bale, and instead, <laughs> instead of stopping the ball as Gareth Bale runs into his penalty area. So Yunchu clears the path straight down, straight down like the six basically for the middle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right for for Gareth Bale. And and and, and um instead chooses to mark the run of Harry Kane, which which was just um an amazing sequence to, to see on replay. Uh, so <laughs> it, 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 I think that that nothing really um, that that was really a picture of what happened to kind of happened to them in these last couple of weeks. And I think injuries did play a part in the end for sure. But um, honestly, I I'm kind of disappointed by guys like James Madison and uh, and Telemans was great in the FA Cup final, obviously. But but I don't think he was good in the game against Chelsea and I don't think it was good um in this game against Tottenham either so it, it was yeah, just a bit disappointing it, the, the sad part too about Fofana that you mentioned he's probably out of the, the under 21 euros um yeah I, w- I would guess for for France so basically the last day of the Premier League season for Leicester was just a complete collapse 
like in every every sense of the word, which is really sad because ultimately I think this begs a question now, Rian, right? Like, does does this hurt Lester's progression into what we call the top six, which obviously you wrote about and, and we've had a lot of discussion about? I I certainly have an answer in my head, and I don't know if you'll agree with it, but I want to hear your thoughts and if you think, is this now kind of like a club defining I guess, moment, because you're also not you as in you, Rian, but we kind of, you know, all relatively are coming off of two weeks ago when they won the FA Cup, which is not, again, a small achievement. It's the second most important trophy in England. So I, I don't know. Is, yeah. is it recency bias? I don't like it's, it's a, I think it's a fair question. It's just, I don't know. Thoughts? It, no, no. It, I, I feel like, I feel like some of my uh, feelings towards it has changed in the last, I don't know. It was the way that that game that they looked against Chelsea, which granted, you know, you could always say psychologically, it's, it's hard to um, for a lot of those players who had never won a trophy before. It's kind of hard to pick yourself up and, and, and like refocus for a game like three days later, two, three days later after such a, such a like emotional high um but you know i i looked at like their end of the season stats compared to last season where you know i think we all kind of agreed that the injuries really screwed them over in the end there and and you have to have some consideration for for that and that and that kind of quote-unquote collapse from last season but last season the end of the season fourth in shots allowed and fourth in shots per game and ended up fifth in non-penalty expected goals allowed almost identical to Chelsea and fourth in uh, non-penalty expected goals for so they were legitimately you know at worst the fifth best team last season and and that is a monumental accomplishment for them this season they finished fifth again which is fantastic and and I do think that they are they're genuinely in there in terms of the top six, in terms of the quality on their team right now. But I'm just slightly concerned um, in the sense of, I do think they're going to need more recruitment. Like they're going to need to bring, I think more quality players in and maybe at worst lose one of their, one of their um, players this season. I think, it would be more likely of either Ndidi or Telemans, but if they can keep one of them or both would be amazing, it would make me feel a bit better because this season they ended, again, fifth in shots allowed, which is still very good, but 10th in non-penalty expected goals allowed, which just kind of tells you that the quality of shots that they're giving up are very, very <laughs> mid-table um, kind of form there. And, Look, when things like that last goal against Spurs happened, where Gareth Bale do you, do you see taking... why I think that they need a new left <laughs> yeah. back and center and back? And I think, I, yeah, and I and and Elias, I think I I was not as convinced as you were when you said that last week. But looking at again, looking at their numbers here too, they they finished eighth in shots, so maybe they need another attacker as well. I think and that's well. That's partially down to to Jamie Vardy's, I think, first half form or first half right. of the season form. But yes, that's again fair point. Right, right, right. I mean, like 
I guess no matter what, they'll probably need a um, someone who's going to step in. Uh, mm, a number ten, Barty, and <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, Ian Nacho, I think kind of is, and and it would be amazing if they could get a another player of his quality, and he's shown that he can play really well in a two striker system. So, like, who knows going forward? But yeah, I I do kind of agree with you that there needs to be uh, a bit more quality, I think, in their center backs. And and Johnny Evans, we can't count on him having a, as good a season again next year. So I think they need a better center back than Suyuncu to play next to Fafana. And, and who knows, a left back too, probably. I mean, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the injury to James Justin, I think, was pretty big to them, though, as well. And, and obviously Harvey Barnes was a very good um attacking mid until he I think hurt his, his knee and, and was out for the last uh, few months of the season but yeah yeah I think there are still levels that that Leicester need to go to and and I just think that they could have accelerated it a lot if they could have gotten um into the Champions League that's fair that's fair well lastly before we go to a break my answer just generally to the point about whether or not this kind of hurts Leicester's progression into the top six. I, I do think it hurt. Obviously. Okay. Obviously it hurts it, but does it entirely hinder it? Absolutely not. In my opinion, because no, I, I think what this offers Leicester, the opportunity to do is rebound in a way that almost allows them to a bring in the players that they need to kind of do a mini rebuild of over the season, right? You have players like Wes Morgan, um, you know, Christian Fuchs, who else is leaving over the summer? There's, I think there's one more that I'm, I'm totally forgetting, but um, you will, you'll definitely have one or two additional departures. Gives them a little bit of room to start tinkering with a younger squad, which is great. And then secondly, competing in the Europa League, I think if they go a far enough distance, I'm not saying they're going to win the Europa League or anything like that, but if they can go a far enough distance to potentially at least reach the quarter or semifinals, then A, they may not even have to rely on league form, but B, you're talking about a European competition that you went very far in. And that's something that I think is much more attainable than going that far in the Champions League, which you can argue, great, you made it that far, but what does it actually mean in terms of progression? And I, I think maybe this this could be a good way for them to rebound rather than looking at as you know demoralizing. So I don't know. I think I think Leicester are still in an okay spot. Look, they were so this was still the best finish, their best points total in the Premier League, right? His, in their Premier League history. So like, it, and it's they still won the league. By fantastic. The way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sorry, this is our second best. I should say second best. <laughs> um, and, and you know, it, it's two straight years of being in fifth that's still an unbelievable accomplishment but it's just looking ahead to next season they they need to still bring more quality into this squad if they want to in the least keep that you know fifth sixth place um stranglehold that they have um right now for sure for sure all right well let's take a quick break we'll do a quick roundup from the rest of the league and then talk about the big game on saturday All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about the rest of the league. 
we got to start at really the league celebrations in Manchester. It was honestly a kind of a beautiful sight to see after uh, after a nice little five nil hammering on the last match day <laughs> of the season. Um, emotional from basically everyone in the squad to not only see, you know, another league celebration, but of course, Sergio Aguero's not only his last game, but his game in which he just barely broke the record for a single goal club tally, breaking Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney's record of, I believe, 147 goals. I don't know if, or uh, I don't know if that's a right number. I think it's 183 was, uh, I yeah, 183, Um Now that makes me wonder how many Alan Shearer had for Newcastle, but that's, a whole other thing anyway yeah because he split them between uh <laughs> yeah the newcastle and blackburn so right 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 so anyway sergio aguero um more than likely actually coming to barcelona pep was pretty emotional after after the game giving his interview talking so much about how important he was to the squad as as a leader as someone he relied on on someone he like you could tell like genuinely loved just like had like a oh my, real yeah. like deep love for this man. And it was, uh, it was, just, it was great. <laughs> he started like crying. He, I mean, he, he genuinely teared up. He started tearing up and he's saying, like, he's just so, I think he said, he's just so nice. <laughs> he's just so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's, and I mean, that the, the whole scene was, I, I think, awesome. And Sergio Aguero, who, who still knows very little English, but, Actually, I should say very little. I think he still knows Enough. intermediate passable, level. Passable. I think, yeah, just about passable. And um, and just the way he speaks is really funny. And, and he just sounds like a child. Yeah. <laughs> the way he talks. Um, but he was, I think he was talking, he was talking about like the, the QPR game. And he was like, oh, I played like shit. And I was like, but then I was like, okay, okay. It's 2-2. Just need one chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um no no all of it all of it was awesome and uh it was really interesting it was really something to see just how emotional pep got about talking about him for a player that i think for much of pep's time at man city people have kind of wondered if he's the right player for man city or the right player for a pep team and we've seen you know in some big games that pep play jesus over him or or whatever, but I, I still think the best versions of those teams, especially the the team that went back to back, I still think the best version of those teams included Sergio Aguero, and and the best version of Manchester City in the last decade has always included Sergio Aguero, and and uh, it's it's gonna suck to see him leave the Prem, but um, I think he leaves it still as possibly one of the least talked about like great yeah. foreign players in the in the league but i mean genuinely he's got to be up there in the top 10 at the oh least. absolutely he's he's definitely recognized i think when you mention his name but as a legend in the premier league but not necessarily in the context of someone who really comes to mind you know what i mean yeah. in terms of yeah like he'll never be on name. the Henri. Yeah, Henri, right? like, you know, Vieira, yeah, yeah, Ronaldo, obviously, yeah, Ronaldo, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, it's it's almost sad in some ways, just because I think he he's not like a grandiose personality, but amazing, amazing. Um, Pep also basically giving away that 
he'll be going to Barcelona. <laughs> like he would, he, yeah. he's like, maybe I'm, I'm just building a secret, but uh, I don't really care. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So that all confirms it, but no happy for Aguero. Um, I hope that he lines up with Messi next season. Otherwise him coming to Barcelona is just kind of sad. <laughs> no, there's, there's no way in hell that Sergio Aguero, who is, I believe Lionel Messi is the godfather or he, the godfather of Sergio Aguero's son yeah yes and i think i think he there's like something about naming their kids like with similar nomenclature i don't know something like that but yes i think messi is the godfather of of Uh, guys two guys who are so close like there's not a chance in hell that sergio aguero is joining barcelona without knowing what Lionel messi's decision is (laughs) yeah that would be silly that would be silly but anyway grateful to have had Aguero play on a city team that was honestly just spectacular when he came in 2011 so we'll miss you Sergio Aguero I I mean I won't I'm going to see him every week so great but anyway (laughs) moving on to Arsenal sadder news for them Rian um the state of this club the state of this club it's so sad of course finishing in eighth means even with the added (laughs) UEFA conference league bullshit now they're missing out on the european competition i think it's the first time in 22 years what is it 20 i i i looked it up just before we we um oh, started got this it. Thing. it's 20 25 years 25 wow wow a quarter yeah. of a century they've gone in european competition even if it's zero of a league that's that's really sad that's kind of just shows to goes to show recruitment the quality of the squad I don't want to say the quality of the coaching too much, but the resources that they have at hand. Yeah. Club management is, is really at fault here. There's no way, there's no other way around it. And Kroenke and his little friends at the top, I think. I wonder if they'll start feeling the heat because this will very, very directly impact their, their checkbook. I, yeah. I just don't know if it'll be enough to, to really push them out of club management because it's still a line item on their, um, you know, on their portfolio, and yeah. in the long run, it's probably still net positive. So, oh, definitely, it's a sad, it's a sad reality. But just from a sporting perspective, I, I feel like we've talked about Arsenal so much, and I don't have at this point something to say about them that I have said differently in the past that would change anything about this situation. I mean, they're getting rid of some dead weight. Right, I'm sure David Luiz obviously is leaving. Willian will probably leave. Um, yeah, Sabios is going. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I, I can see that he's going back <laughs> to Madrid. Sabios, Sabios is just a plank of wood, just floating <laughs> off into the sea, and he's oh my he's, god, he's like not. He's definitely not going back to Madrid. And no, he's not. He's, no, not, he's, he's not. a complete. Yeah, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I really him. liked him at Real Batiste, too. That's the sad part. But anyway, yeah. Our, uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 look, the, yeah, there's not there's there's still much to be seen um, in terms of what the summer will look like for them. I, who knows? Who knows how much, you know, missing out on, on European competition after having an entire season, almost an entire season without um, any like gate or match day revenue and it could be very difficult. It could be very, very difficult. Um, but like I said, the I have no idea how much the the pressure is going to be turned on those owners because 
what also comes with those lack of European games, and of course what comes with this the summer now is fewer opportunities for protests and fewer opportunities for bad publicity like we saw happen at Old Trafford the last three weeks. So who knows? Yep, 100%. 100%. So uh, Arsenal, I feel for them. I don't even have much more to say, Rian. Let's just move on to West Ham and Leeds because I'm really sad. This isn't necessarily related to both teams, but I'm really sad that Patrick Bamford did not make the provisional Euro, Euro squad. I, I just think that, I mean, I picked him for my team of the year. Obviously, there's a reason why. I think that I'm not surprised that he wasn't chosen, but at the same time, I'm sad that someone with 17 goals in the Premier League, that's an <laughs> English player, was not also chosen for your national team. Like, that's... I'm not even given the chance to... Yeah, like, I feel like that's a pretty... <laughs> that's a pretty good baseline in terms yeah. of being in the top five and goal scored. I don't know. I'm not Gareth it's Southgate, a... so I don't yeah. have to live with the consequences, but... <laughs> It is a huge accomplishment for for both of these sides. Leeds, obviously, first season back in the championship from the champ- championship and uh, lower tiers in like twenty years, and for them to finish mid table and really, I think Rian and I probably accurately predicted that would they would finish around mid table. I think we probably would have liked them to see them closer to like Europa League just because it's Leeds, yeah. but I- I'm. I'm a little more surprised by West Ham probably more than, than most teams uh, or more than any other team really in the Premier League team. That's yeah. uh yeah, I guess we expected to kind of droop off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there was, there was not a lot of good vibes going into the season from West, from West Ham. <laughs> um, I think, I think it was, uh, I think it was their captain, Mark Noble, who was very upset that they sold off um, a player to West Brom, Dean Ghana, who, uh, I think it would have been hard for any West Brom player to have a, a good season attacking wise, other than like Mateus Pereira. And of course, Callum Robinson, who only scored against Chelsea, but from Elite's point of view, or sorry, from a West Ham point of view. Yeah. They, they just unbelievable overachievement, of course, but I genuinely have always looked like, I think either the sixth or seventh best team this, this season. I I don't think at any point they've looked a worse team than say Arsenal. And they, I think they've looked as good as Tottenham on, on average this season at, I mean, better than Tottenham most of the time, honestly, uh, in a consistency basis. So yeah, huge props to David Moyes, who, who knows, I, I, who knows if he'll win manager of the year, um, but he's got to be in the top two or three and, the the other guy that's probably sure. in the top two or three might be Marcelo Bielsa. So. Yeah, yeah, I think these two managers absolutely deserve to be in that conversation. Okay, obviously Pep is going to be a part of that conversation, but David Moyes, I think I, I would say a combination of three to four players slash managers: Fabianski, David mm-hmm. Moyes, Jesse Lingard. I'll, I'll say Pablo Fornals just because. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll say, I think Declan Rice is a probably a good shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that was gonna be okay. Well, that was gonna be my next player. I, I was gonna cut it off there, but um, I think those players really changed the season for West Ham. Like individually speaking, I I don't think that without their individual contributions that we're having this discussion at all. So it's just yeah. I, I have check as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Great, great shout out. Um. I was just really impressed with, albeit Jesse Lingard's very short return to the Ballon d'Or, you know, stage. <laughs> um, it, it was 
it was pretty table altering. Honestly, it was. So yeah, West Ham leads props. I, I am yeah. really excited to see what leads are able to do with Bielsa yeah. and a transfer budget that suits this team for the Premier League. Yeah. I'm not saying that they're going to go out and get Holland, but I'm saying that they will probably go out. I think they do need at least one to two new central midfielders, probably another defender, and they're they're in good shape. So, yeah. yeah but, but it, look, a team that a lot of people a lot of people expect it to kind of fall off at the end because of how intense Marcelo Bielsa's play <laughs> is. And like, there's no way you can do this for the entire season. I mean, the last 10 games of the season, they picked up as many points as Liverpool, um, which was 23. And that, that was joint top for our joint most points during that time. And, you know, they ended up like 11th in expected goal difference. So it'll be interesting to see if they, if they can acquire the players that kind of, you know, widen their margin for error because right now it's the way that they play almost like a basketball game it's like uh, it, it's lovely to watch it's 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 exhilarating to watch but um it's got to be pretty stressful <laughs> from from uh from a lead span point of view but yeah you know that, that's all part of the entertainment at some fair. point i think bielsa is going to lose any more remaining hair which i don't <laughs> think is realistically probably he's not bald but he's like he's he's headed that direction so definitely is yeah yeah anyway rian last but not least we have to we have to talk about the champions league final obviously city chelsea have been kind of mentally preparing for this um chelsea most recently i mean we can mention defeated manchester city in the league to put them in a pretty compelling and nice position to even be in the top four so I'll I'll ask you outright before you even go into an analysis of why. Who do you think is going to win on Saturday? Just yes or no. Yes or no. I mean, one or the other. Not, yeah. <laughs> not yes. One or the other. One or the other. Um, I'm playing mind games. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yes, I do think someone will win. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's such a cop Yeah. Um, no, no. Um, honestly... I I think it will end up being Manchester City. I, I that that's again that's just my brain saying that. Um, and my brain is also saying that this game might suck for a lot of you guys out there who are not <laughs> who are not a fan of either of these two teams. Um, that's I'm just throwing it out there. There's like a forty percent chance that this game is super super boring for the first. <laughs> For the first forty-five to sixty minutes, minutes. unless <laughs> unless someone scores early, I like this game. Like from a neutral point of view, it's going to need someone to. Um, but no, I I think the the ultimate difference in these two teams that I see is is um is just two teams that play very similarly in possession, and in honestly defensively too, just to stop counterattacks, and neither of them are going to try that hard to counterattack but of course um but of course the uh, with team over if team over is out there then there's always like the option of it right but um i think ultimately this game will come down to who finishes their chances who finishes them more efficiently and we've seen for most of this season uh um, manchester city have through whether it's one of their uh midfielders 
or one of their attacking midfielders slash false nines in which they have like five of them and or you know even it's been john stones who scored a couple in a game earlier this season too like they may not have one consistent guy who's finishing most of these chances i mean we know gundawan was went on a tear for about like six weeks um but they always seem to find the goal like someone ends up um coming up with a great finish and i think that's kind of the difference between the two teams it's it's hard to say for sure who is going to come up with that finish for chelsea like they might get the chances for sure but who's going to actually put the ball in the back of the net it's harder it's it's harder to say exactly who you think will from a chelsea point of view super fair i think that's a that's honestly like a very purely objective point of view <laughs> um no bias at all I fully agree that this is going to be a very cagey match. I think that this is going to be a situation where you get 1-0, 75th, 80th minute, someone's chasing the game. Like, this is... The reason why we say that, too, I feel like we should explain is not just because of the way that these two teams play, because it has really nothing to do with that. Because if you look at the Premier League game from three weeks ago, the reason why that finished 2-1 was arguably Chelsea were the superior team on that day. But in the context of a Champions League final where you literally have it all on the line, a team that hasn't won the Champions League final and arguably was not expected to be in a Champions League final at the midpoint of the season in Chelsea probably are going to be more conservative and be able to, to get this game not necessarily on the counter, but they're going to want to be able to not give away goals to, again, the team that has the highest number of expected goals in the Premier League this season. Secondly, Manchester City, who are fighting for their first ever Champions League title, which would cement Pep Guardiola clearly as the best manager of all time. I mean, as if yeah, yeah, he isn't no, ready. I, I, yeah, I, I think it would go a long way. Yeah, yeah. it would go a long way. Yeah, then... Again, you're talking about a team that cannot afford to lose, which is very different from a team that needs to win. So I think ah, this is this is a really listen, this is a really interesting tactical matchup. And that's how I always look at these sort of things, mainly because I don't know what either team's lineups are gonna look like on Saturday. I, I'm expecting surprises from both sides, like genuine surprises. Not like Olivier Giroud starting surprises. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not mentally prepared for that. But I will say that I think I think this is going to be one of those games where City obviously are the favorites. City could score early. City could do everything right. And Chelsea still might be able to pull a draw out or something towards the end. Go to extra time, penalties, Chelsea win. I force I can foresee a situation where Chelsea just make it close enough to really question whether or not City will be able to actually win in regulation. So my answer to who do I think will win? I think City will probably win, but I would not at all be surprised if this game goes to penalties and Chelsea win or if they win an extra time. Yeah, well, it's a good thing we've got two um, coaches who are so free flowing in the way that they they think about the game and, and um, never, ever try to go to the minutia of 
um, <laughs> how you kick the ball, which blade of grass it touches that will actually get us into half spaces quicker. And I'm sure that they're just going to go out there and treat this like a fun game and just <laughs> play with a lot of a lot of just gusto. Ah, uh, yes, you uh, you clearly have been watching football for the last eight years of your life. <laughs> so hence <laughs> hint of sarcasm, of course, in Riyadh's voice. But yeah, that's clearly not going to happen in your dreams. So yeah, we definitely won't see Phil Foden playing left wing back versus <laughs> again versus like Cesar Aspilicueta who who has been playing that position anyway and is weird as it is so <laughs> like, Phil Foden versus Aspilicueta in the center back position yes, make of it what exactly. you will <laughs> yeah <laughs> we are expecting well, that, weird things but I am I am expecting either way I mean either whatever way you paint the picture this is going to be a really, really big outcome for either club. Really big, yeah. like really, yeah. really massive. So I'm excited. I could be, I, I could be totally surprised. And because this is a one-off game, who knows? Maybe we see one of these Rudiger 25 yarders actually go in. Oh <laughs> my God. I would <laughs> and, lose my And maybe mind. that changes the entire game. Like that. that's, that's <laughs> kind of the beauty of a cup finals that literally any randomness can happen and it screws up the entire pace of play style of play of the entire game so maybe we'll get something really weird that happens so true at least quick quick quickly though before we uh sign off here quick predictions for tomorrow united or villarreal real quick so of course we were not going to forget about the europa league final rian Manchester United have been favored to win the Europa League final since the beginning of this calendar year. For that reason, I'm very obviously going with a Villarreal win. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, literally, you're talking about... So I can give the Villarreal perspective. You're talking about a team that very much could have just put Real Madrid to the sword this past weekend. Yeah. You're talking about a team that absolutely has impressed in the last two months under Unai Emery. You're talking about a team that rested key players over the weekend, this past weekend, even though it was against Real Madrid, which again, I, I predicted. This is, this is Unai Emery's thing. Like the Europa League is his thing. And it's almost mystical in the way that he wins Europa League championships, like everywhere he goes. This is his biggest test by far. This is his biggest test in terms of his opponent. I do think that Manchester United are a better team. I'm not here to say that, oh, because it's a Spanish team that I think that (laughs) the Spanish team here is going to win. Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. I think Manchester United are genuinely the superior team and have probably better quality. But I do think that Villarreal are in a really good form. I think United have lapses of concentration and lack consistency, especially as, we, as we've seen in the Premier League. They're like for, for people that are looking at their um, uh, the, what's called their results against <laughs> Granada, for example, in the Europa League this season as w- ways to, to forecast how this will go against Villarreal tomorrow. That's now nowhere near comparable as Granada's first time in Europe <laughs> versus a top team that shouldn't even be in the Europa League. They should be in the Champions League. So I'm I'm talking about levels here. I I'm not 
I'm not really sure what to make of what I'll see tomorrow with Manchester United. I know very much what I'm going to get out of Villarreal. You're going to see Gerard Moreno just post up against whatever combination of center backs United will be able to pick uh, put out (laughs) and he will make runs in behind that will be faster. I'm telling you right now. So do not be surprised if you see Gerard Moreno absolutely torching a center back pairing of Bailly and I I guess Lindelof. It's going to be Bailly and Lindelof. (laughs) Yeah, it has to be. So just don't be surprised by that. And it's moments like that where I think Villarreal are genuinely dangerous. Like for everything from their wingback play to their striker partnership, it's it's impressive. It's impressive. So Villarreal, I'm going two one. All right, I'm 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 totally with you in, in the the talent gap. I think that United are are much more talented team. For their sure, attackers are their attackers can strike at any moment, and I think that I think that is United's best chances. This is to make this a track meet basically make yeah. this game open and just basically dare Villarreal to outscore you. And that's, I mean, duh, that's how it works in general. Right. But, <laughs> but, but basically dare Villarreal to open up and tell them, all right, well, you're going to need to, uh, you're going to need to attack with the same vigor as we do, like force right. them to play the game at your pace. And and I think that's very possible. Um it's a, I the, I think it's the, a gamble. I think it's a gamble. Of course, of course, and, and I think it's the best way for United to play, though, especially with the center back pairing that we <laughs> that we've mentioned there. That, oh yeah, that's, and that's why that's what scares me the most from a United perspective. And I, I think it's a great chance that Unai Emery will find a way to exploit those center backs, and that's where I'll give the slight edge to Villarreal purely because I think this game becomes a. I think there's a better chance this game becomes a slower tactical battle than a fast-paced counter-based game. So, yep. And by well, the we'll way, I, I think Chukweze is going to be back from injury tomorrow. Really? Yeah. That. So, I mean, that's a huge X factor, of course. Yep. Even if he's coming off the bench, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, uh, I'm I'm actually very excited for the Europa League final. So we shall see. But Rian, in the meantime. We're going to talk about Spain tomorrow after all this is done because I've, I've needed a few days to recuperate. So we'll get back to you guys with that. Thanks as always for listening. We'll, uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks guys.